John chapter 21, verses 18 through 23. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. As we were singing that last song, I was reminded that we played that hymn at my wedding. And then I was reminded that Robert is currently at a wedding. (laughs) And I needed to make this announcement. Uh, And his daughter is getting married today. And so their wedding is later this evening. um, And uh, just keep them in your prayers. I texted him this morning that we were praying for a a blessed and beautiful afternoon. And he texted me back an emoji of an exploding head. (laughs) So... (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) Um, let's talk about this passage. There is uh, a famous study that is done by a researcher named Franz Duvall. It is an experiment where he took these two monkeys and uh, capuchin monkeys, he put them in cages next to each other. And with the first monkey, he asked them to do a very simple task, to hand a rock over to the researcher who gave it to him. And whenever the monkey does this task... He rewards him with a little piece of cucumber. And the monkey eats the cucumber and is very happy. They repeat this over and over with the monkey. And for 25 times in a row, the monkey grabs the cucumber and is happy to eat it. But then, the second phase of this experiment is the monkey in the cage next to him. The researcher asks that monkey to do the same task. To hand a rock back to the researcher. But instead of giving that monkey a cucumber, they give him a better prize. They give him a grape. And he eats the grape, and he's very happy to get it. And then they go back to the first monkey, and they say, hand me the rock. And he gives him a cucumber. And instead of eating the cucumber happily, after the very first time, the monkey throws the cucumber back in the face (laughs) of the researcher. The second monkey does it, gets a grape. The first monkey does it, throws the cucumber back, starts to rattle his cage, gets angry and frustrated. It's a study about how we perceive fairness. See, when the only prize was cucumbers, monkey one is fine. But when another monkey is getting grapes, all of a sudden he goes from contentment, even happiness, to despair over how unfair everything is. All because he can see 
there is someone else with a slightly better situation. All because of that ability to make that sideways glance. Today in our passage, we see Peter as he wrestles with the temptation of the sideways glance. Here we just read that that Peter has just found out what Jesus means when he says, follow me. And when he learns it, his very first instinct is to look over at the guy next to him, to look over at his friend John and ask, well, what about him? What's going to happen to this guy? Is it going to be the same as me? Is, is he getting cucumbers too? <laughs> or is he getting grapes? And at the heart of that interaction is a message for all of us this morning. It's a message, first of all, about what it means to follow Jesus. And it's also about what it means for us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in a world where we are always tempted to look sideways. In a world where we are always tempted to compare ourselves with others. And so this morning I want to do three things. I want to look at, first, what we are called to do. Secondly, I want us to look at what others are called to do. And finally, I want us to look at the unfair result of our call. Okay, so what are we called to do? You know, we're just a few words away from the end of this book now. We're getting really close. And in these last few moments of the book, John, he gives us a very specific glimpse into what it means to follow Jesus. Exactly what it's going to take for Peter and ultimately for the rest of the disciples to carry Christ's message of salvation out into the world. Jesus tells Peter that faithfulness to this gospel-proclaiming ministry is going to cost him his life, right? That's what verses 18 and 19, that's what those first two verses are all about. Stretching out your hands, going where you don't want to go, that is an image of death. Most scholars say that is an image alluding to crucifixion. Now, the Bible, it doesn't tell us exactly how Peter died, but we do know from church history that indeed he was martyred. He died for his faith. And I think we can assume from the way this story goes that this was a little bit of a surprise to Peter in this moment. He didn't realize that's what was going to happen. Now, interestingly enough, Jesus was always very clear that it would cost a lot to follow him, right? Jesus made that very clear to his followers. I mean, I was thinking about the different verses where he says things like that, and, and just off the top of my head, I came up with a few. Matthew chapter 8, verses 19, it says that uh, a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, it is not glamorous to follow me. John chapter 15, he says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, 
it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world might hate you if you're his disciple. Matthew chapter 5, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, right at the very beginning, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And maybe most famously, <clears throat> Luke chapter 9, where he says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Jesus was very clear that following him was going to require sacrifice. That it would come at a great cost. That it would result in persecution. That it would result in rejection. That it would result in discomfort. But here's something that I have learned over my years in ministry. I have learned that it is one thing for us to hear that fact spoken generally... And it's another thing to learn what it means specifically. It's one thing to know in your head that following Jesus is hard. But it is another thing to walk through that hardship firsthand. Right? I remember when I first went into church planting ministry. And we went into it fully aware that it was going to be difficult. It was this kind of frontline, missionary-type ministry. I remember we went out, we went all over the country recruiting a prayer team. And every time I sat down with people to talk about praying for us, I would say, we're going in, we're going to have a lot of spiritual warfare. This is going to be difficult. We need you to pray for us. I knew it in my head. But I really had no idea. To be a church planter, you may not know this, but if you're going to start a church... Uh, in a Presbyterian denomination, you have to go to this thing called church planters assessment. And that's when they gather up all the people all around the country who want to do that kind of work. They bring you in for a weekend, and they do some testing, they do some evaluation, they see how ready you are for it, and then they send you back out to the place where you're headed. Our assessment that we did, it took place not too far from here. It was at a hotel outside the Atlanta airport. And at the end of our assessment weekend, all the church planners got together and we took a big group photo. Everybody's smiling. Everybody has big dreams and big plans for their future. But now, when I pick up that photo and I look at it, I realize that it is like a photo of a platoon before they headed off to war. I can look back 15 years later and I can see... I can tell you what it cost each of those families to follow that call. And some of their stories, they're hard to hear. What about you? I mentioned last week that the scripture teaches very clearly that every single one of us, we're called into ministry. Now, you may not all end up 
professional Christians <laughs> like me. But we're all called into some kind of ministry. We're all called into this life where we are meant to proclaim our faith to the world. And there is always a cost. What has following Jesus cost you? What has following Jesus meant you had to forsake? Or what about us as a group? What about us as a church? We as a church, we have a calling. Our call is to, it's the same call all the churches get, go and make disciples. To reach this community for the Lord, to build people up into mature followers of Christ. But there is always a cost to our calling. Whether it's our personal calling, whether it's our calling as a body, there's always going to be a moment where the words, deny yourself and take up your cross, go from being abstract to being specific. Where Jesus is no longer simply generally saying, take up your cross, but he is saying something specific. He's saying, following me, well, that means you're going to have to forgive that person. If you're going to follow me, it means you're going to have to forgive your parent or your child or that former friend in your life. Or he says, following me, well, that means you're going to have to Stop being so aggressive with your politics. Or following me, that means you're going to have to stop defining yourself the way the world defines you. You're going to have to stop defining yourself by your sexuality. Or it means you're going to have to start using your money to benefit the poor instead of just benefiting yourself. There's always a moment when our calling goes from general to specific. When it, we realize just what it means that Jesus is asking us to stretch out our hands and to go someplace that we don't want to go. What if reaching this world around us meant that we had to give up something we really, really like? What if, in order for this next generation to come to faith, in order for your children to come to faith, in order for your grandchildren to come to faith, what if it meant that we had to give up something we loved? What if it meant that we had to get rid of all the pews in the church? Now, I'm not planning to do that, but I said that because I know that some of you are going to panic when I say that. I know that that's going to make you uncomfortable. I really like the pews. The pews have been here for 150 years. I want you to feel this. I want you to feel a fraction of what I'm talking about. I want you to feel what Peter felt when Jesus didn't say you're going to have to remove the pews. He said you're going to have to die. What could Jesus ask you to do that would make you pause? What could Jesus ask you to do that you would make, make you say, no, sorry? That's too much. It's one thing for Jesus to say, follow me. It's another to find out what that means. 
It's one thing for him to say, take up your cross. But it's another thing to get that first splinter in your hand. But that's the call. The call is to follow him. The call is to lay down your rights. The call is to lay down your lives and to go places that you would never go on your own, to do things that you would never choose to do on your own because you know that Jesus is infinitely more valuable than any of those things that we might cling to. Folks, people need Jesus. They need him. And it is our call to do whatever we can to bring the gospel message to the people he has placed in our lives, to the community where he has placed our church. That's what he's called us to do. Now, what about everybody else? Are other people called to that? What's he called them to do? Well, let's talk about what others are called to do. Now, Peter, man, Peter's the best, isn't he? I mean, we just went through this great passage last week where after having denied Jesus, Jesus has this beautiful interaction with him where he professes how much he loves Jesus, and Jesus knows it's true. And so Jesus restores him. He calls him back into ministry. It's clear from that interaction that even though Jesus, Peter had denied him before, that kind of thing was never going to happen again. It's this glorious, redemptive moment for Peter. And yet, Peter is still Peter, right? His very, within one second of that interaction, his first moment that he figures out that he's going to have to die, when he finds out what it really is going to cost him to follow Jesus, the first thing he does is the same thing that my kids do when I ask one of them to clean the kitchen, right? Well, what about her, right? What about, what about them? And let's be honest. We all kind of think like that, don't we? We all act this way, don't we? And we might claim that it's about fairness. We want to know that everything's even. We have some sense of justice. We're trying to get things to be fair, but that's not really true. We're not nearly as concerned about fairness when we win the lottery, <laughs> right? When we get some big tax break, we're not really worried about fairness then. No, it's, it's actually more about envy. It's about thinking we deserve something better. That we deserve something better than, than what we currently have. And I'll be the first to admit that this is something I have struggled with plenty in my life. When I was in New England, you know, shaking the trees, doing evangelism, trying to build up a core group full of people in New England, explaining just the basics of what it meant to follow Jesus, my, my best friend started a church in Charlotte. And on the very first Sunday, he had 250 people. Within a month, they had three services. <laughs> and, and I'll be honest, that's exactly where my heart went. Jesus said, Logan... Will you follow me? 
And I said, yes, Lord. But, but what about him? <laughs> and for all of you, for you sitting in this room, I, I know that, that you have experienced this. That there has, have been times where the Lord has called you into great difficulties. Not just challenging ministries, but, but he has called you at times to live faithfully, to live obediently, to follow him at times that were more than hard. In the midst of financial ruin or a devastating medical diagnosis. In the midst of hard marriages or the heart-wrenching loss of a child or a spouse. And in those moments, when things get so hard, it is easy to look sideways, to look over your shoulder and, and to see that other person and say, well, what about them? But in those moments... The answer that Jesus gives Peter is the answer we need to hear. He says, what is that to you? You follow me. What is that to you? You follow me. Now, I want to mention at this moment in our text in John, uh, John gives us a little editorial note here. You should know, I told you, Peter dies a martyr. But John actually, he lived a really long life. He was hanging around for a long time. And, and so people eventually started to think, well, I guess Jesus is going to come back before John dies. And John, who was quite old at the time, who was writing this gospel, he wanted to clear up any confusion. He wanted to make sure everybody knew that when Jesus said that, it wasn't a point about how long John was going to live or when Jesus was going to come back. He was just trying to tell Peter that it's none of his business. What happens to John? And don't miss this either. When Jesus says, you follow me, what he's really doing is redirecting Peter's gaze. He's taking him back from that sideways glance at his neighbor's life, at his neighbor's circumstances, and he's turning his eyes back to his Savior. In other words, the point that Jesus is making here, he's making for all of us, it's not about fairness, it's about lordship. It's about who it is who is seated on the throne. Who's in charge? Who knows best? That's the real question. Who do you think knows best what you need? Who do you think knows best what we need? Who do you think knows best what this world needs? You're always going to be able to find somebody whose life seems easier, right? Especially when you're in those hard places. Especially when God calls you to walk through something that is difficult and maybe even feels like death. But in those moments, Jesus says, don't look in the wrong direction. You What God calls other people to do is not our concern. And that brings me to the third thing. The unfair result of our calling. 
So when Peter did that, when he looked over at John that day, or when we do that, when we look over at our neighbor, when we look over at somebody else, or maybe as a church, when we look over at some other congregation, and we're tempted, we're, we're, we're tempted to compare ourselves with others, you got to know we're just like those monkeys, right? We're just like the monkeys in that experiment, handing that researcher the rock. We're looking over there, and we're getting angry because it seems like they've got grapes while we're getting the dumb cucumbers. But if you're living like that, if we, as a church, are living like that, then we are missing the point. See, if you think that comfort, if you think that success, if you think that health and, and fame and prosperity, the easy life, if you think that's the reward, you're way off. Those things are the rocks. <laughs> Those are the rocks that we're moving around. The reward is Jesus. Amen? The reward is Jesus. And, and guess what? He is the reward we all get. And if we're out there talking about what's fair and what's not fair. Let me tell you, that's not fair. None of us deserve that reward. We don't deserve any reward, let's be honest. If we're, if we're honest about the state of our own hearts, we don't deserve anything. We are rebels, we're scoundrels, we're sinners. But hallelujah, we have a God who the psalm says he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, we often find ourselves looking around at others, acting like we deserve better. But the truth is, we deserve much worse. But instead, our loving God in the person of Jesus, he took our place on the cross and he got what we really deserved. So that we could have the reward of eternal life, of blessing. The reward that we could absolutely never earn. The reward we don't deserve. And so Peter, in this passage, he looks over at John and he wants to know what's going to happen to him. But I want you to hear this this morning. This is the message Listen up. We don't need to know what's going to happen to John or anybody else that we might be tempted to glance at. We don't need to know what's going to happen to them because we know what happened to Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. And so will everyone who trusts in him. And I want to close here this morning by saying this, just a note, I truly believe that Jesus is calling this church into a moment that will require radical faith. He is calling us into something great. And each one of us is a part of that calling. He is calling each of us, each of you, to follow him. 
will be hard. Because truly following Jesus, it's always hard. And look, we live in Lake Norman. We live in one of the cushiest places on earth. It's going to be easy. There's always going to be somebody around us that looks like they've got it better than we do. There'll be plenty of people to compare ourselves to. To think their story is better. Lord, what about them? It's not fair. But folks, that's just a distraction from the real story we're in. It's just a distraction from the real ending we're moving towards. Because if we really do this, if we really follow him, we're going to find that we all get treated unfairly in the end. Because he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us something much better. He gives us something we could never earn. Something we could never possibly dream of. He gives us himself. He gives us the gift of eternity. In the presence of his glory. And, and folks, he is calling us. All of us. To take up our cross. And follow him. So that as many people as possible can enjoy that reward with us. And when we realize that, when we know that's the reward, we're not going to mind if we have to eat a few cucumbers along the way. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless this church. I pray that you would bless our lives. I pray, God, that for all of us who know firsthand how hard it can be to follow you. I pray that we would also know just as deeply how great of a reward you have for us. How much sweeter life is when we're walking in obedience to you. How much more wonderful it is to live not for the things of this world, but for the eternal things. And God, I pray for this church, Lord, that you would bless us. Our desire is to see people come to faith. Our desire is to see our community transformed by the power of the gospel. And Lord, we want you to use us. Lord, use us. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.